Thank y'all very much. You're all to us. What does all mean? Everything, all, right? That's the way it should be. Well, I would like to say in my life that, you know, God is everything to me. And even as a, a pastor, sometimes I realize I fail. I'm not perfect. I, I'm human. And I want God to be everything, but sometimes I, I miss out on that big picture perspective. And I want to welcome you here today. Thank you for being here. It means a lot every Sunday, especially when you're here in person. And, and I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but I need this. I need to be with other people and uh, worship God and be reminded I need God. He's my creator. He's my sustainer. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I need to be reminded of that through His Word, through people, through songs. And we've been going through this um, letter called this letter to the Philippians that the Apostle Paul wrote um, to a first century group of Jesus followers and I'm calling this series Big Picture Perspective. Paul had a big picture perspective. Paul had was in prison when he wrote this letter, among others, and he couldn't get out and go on these missionary journeys as he had for so long. And instead of sitting in prison and feeling sorry for himself and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? He recognized, because of his big picture perspective, that God had him there for reason. And that there was a Roman soldier chained to him every day, and he had the opportunity, Paul saw it in his perspective as, I get to talk to that guy about Jesus. He's got to be chained to me all day. He's going to hear about Jesus. When he had the opportunity and he's waiting to go before Caesar, who's the most powerful man in the world at the time, and basically explain to him why he has been teaching and preaching about this Jesus and this hope of the resurrection of life and you know, he has this opportunity again to share with the world this big picture perspective that he has. And it's very different from the rest of the world. But today we're going to look at a issue when I think about life. And I appreciate uh, Courtney being with us today. And, and, and she talked about, hey, I was going to stay two years, but then it ended up 14. That's what God does to you when you see when he takes you and your gifts and your talents and the things he's put into your life and you use those for him you keep going with it because you see the joy that that brings you, that this is what I was created to do. This is what God, you have a bigger picture perspective that I'm, I'm not here just for me. And if I'm only here for me and my whole life is about me, somehow that breaks down at some point in our life and it's not quite as fun as it seems. But today we're going to talk about something that's a little awkward and it's death, our perspective on death. How do we see that? Why do you got to talk about that? Well, I was at a funeral Friday, and uh, you know, I was, I was very encouraged by this funeral. It was a believer, but he died suddenly. He went on vacation this summer, got COVID, and two weeks later was dead. But this guy in his life, and I'd only met him a few times, but I really liked him, and I could see Jesus in him, and he never said Jesus in my presence. You know people like that? You know they have Jesus in them. They don't have to mention it. You can just see it in their lives. He was that kind of person. And as I listened to his family talk about the things that he did in his life, I was amazed. And even though it was a very sad time and they were sad, they had a bigger picture perspective about death. But I wonder sometimes, even as Christians, what 
how do we view death? Because sometimes Christians, of all people in the world, we should be the ones that have a different perspective than the rest of the world, but sometimes we're scared and we're fearful of death, and that's understandable. But contemporary philosopher, a guy named Simon Critchley, wrote a book called The Book of Dead Philosophers. <laughs> an interesting title. And he says this. He writes about how we don't know how to prepare for death. He's especially surprised that Christians who have many reasons not to fear death are still so afraid to die. In a detailed survey that was from the early 2000s, it said that 92% of Americans claim that they believe in God, another 85% believe in heaven, and 82% believe in miracles. But the deeper truth is that such religious belief complete with this heavenly afterlife brings believers little solace in the face of death. The only priesthood in which people really believe is the medical profession, at least it seems that way sometimes, and the purpose of their sacramental drugs and technology technology is to support longevity, the sole unquestioned good of contemporary Western life, is we want to have longevity, we want to live as long as we can, we're afraid of death, and we do everything we can to avoid it. If proof were needed that many religious believers actually do not believe or do not practice what they preach, then it can be found in the ignorance of religious teaching on death, particularly sometimes Christian teaching. Christianity in the hands of Paul or Augustine or a Luther is a way of becoming reconciled to the brevity of human life and giving up the desires for wealth and worldly goods and temporal power. But many Christians today, he writes, are actually leading desperate atheist lives bounded by a desire for longevity and a terror of death. Now, I know we were scared of death last year, weren't we? When we saw this COVID thing come in. And, you know, I know some of you are going, I wasn't scared, still ain't scared. Well, good for you, but I was scared. (laughs) A lot of us were when you see that many people dying. And like again today, I thought it was getting better. And then this, you know, this uh, it's my brother-in-law's father-in-law who got COVID on vacation, died two weeks later. I'm like, wow, this thing is still out there. It, it's kind of scary. But as we talk about what that guy just wrote about, that sometimes of all people, Christians should be more hopeful. We should have a different perspective on death. Sometimes we don't, and people see that. But interesting, if you need more proof, especially in our Western world that we try to avoid death, Listen to this. Ashkay Rajkumar, who is a uh, pastor in India, writes uh, Right Now Media, which we have, um, uh, and talks about the book of Philippians, this letter Paul wrote. And he talks about the Silicon Valley. You know what the Silicon Valley is? It's basically the capital for some of the greatest software and technology companies. And many in this region he talks about are trying to solve the world's greatest problems by technology. And, And surely... You know, you can't help it. A lot of technology has solved a lot of our problems, hasn't it? It's made, in a lot of ways, our lives easier. But it has also created a whole nother group of problems, hasn't it? And I see some of you nodding your heads because you know what I mean. Yeah, it's great to have my phone and I can use my ways and I can check on how fast, you know, my daughter's going in her car in an instant, know where she is, know where my son is. All that stuff is great. But it also creates a whole nother set of problems, technology. But a lot of these people in the Silicon Valley and in the world, because they're convinced that technology can solve any of our problems we have as humans, and they see death as a problem. 
and it is a problem, but they think technology, technology can somehow solve this problem, and these gurus try to do this. Have you ever heard of Larry Ellison, the co-founder of Oracle, who donates hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to life extension therapies? There's a way through technology to solve death. Peter Thiel, who was the co-founder, one of the co-founders of PayPal, he donates millions each year to anti-aging research. If we do enough research, we can find out how to stop aging and we can live forever through technology. Bill Maris, founder of Google Ventures and what is called Calico, which is basically a multi-billion with a B, million-dollar company, which started out basically to try and find a cure for aging. And all these brilliant minds in Silicon Valley and all over the world, they see aging and death as a problem that can be solved by technology and strategy. Well, the Apostle Paul was a brilliant mind. He had been schooled as a Pharisee. He read, he knew all the philosophies of his day, but he also had a different big picture perspective. He did not see aging and death as something to be avoided, something to be over anxious about. He had a big picture perspective that these modern day technology giants and we in our 21st century should listen to. When it comes to thinking about death, followers of Jesus should have this confident big picture perspective of hope about the afterlife. Well, why? Because we believe in Jesus who overcame death, right? He taught about that, and ultimately, he didn't just teach about this pie in the sky, by and by, so to speak. He says, no, it is a reality that your creator wants to be with you eternally. He doesn't want to be separated from you. He wants to be with you eternally, and his resurrection proved to the whole world. He defeated sin, which separates us from God, but he also ultimately defeated de death, which we think separates us from God, and he goes, but death no longer has mastery over us because of Jesus' resurrection. And the amazing growth and resilience of Christianity in history since Jesus' resurrection has shown that that power has brought people together and given them a different perspective on death. But depending on the season of our life, we have a different perspective on life and death, even if we are followers of Jesus. And I know some of you here today are followers of Jesus. Some of you are maybe thinking about that. Maybe some of you are kind of like, I don't know really where I'm at with all that at all. And that's okay, but you do think about death. When you go to sleep at night and you stare up at the ceiling, you do think about it. When I'm sitting at that funeral Friday, as many of y'all have been in funerals, when you're talking about hearing somebody talk about somebody's life and they've just died, you think about your life, don't you? You think about what it would it be, what's it going to be like when I die? How will I die? When will I die? We all think about those things. It's human. But what is our ultimate perspective, big picture perspective on that? And I've noticed how many who are further along in life, who are a little older maybe, especially Christians, welcome the thought. Last year I heard a lot of this. I just wish Jesus would come on back right now because everything's so terrible. Now, I know older people and people who've gone through a lot of struggles in their life, I totally can understand that perspective. Like, Jesus just come and take us away from all that stuff. But here's the problem. There's some people who don't know Jesus yet, and they're lost forever. And do I want my selfishness to want to be with Jesus to hurry up and come so I can be with him, but I don't care about all those other people that are lost? I don't think that's what Jesus wants. And I know that there's other people who are younger, even Jesus followers, who go, 
hey, if you're older and you've done all your stuff and you know, you're, you're, you're ready to go be with Jesus, but there's younger people, I think about my own kids, like, hey, I love Jesus, but I ain't ready for him to come yet. Because there's stuff I want to do. There's stuff I want to see. I, I want to experience college. I want to experience getting married and having kids. And there's some people who go, yeah, I want to experience my kids having kids so I can have some grandkids. I want to experience life and all the wonderful things that God gave us. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't want him to come yet. Not ready for that. So depending on where you are in life is, is how you look at death, right? And last year, there was a lot of people who were afraid, and we had to think, oh, Jeff, I, I, you know, we've we got to stay home because we could die, and that was a reality. But it showed a lot about what people really believed about their Christianity and their faith in God. And sometimes we don't seem to have the same perspective about Jesus' return or the same readiness to face death. Well, why? It's obvious. There are many things in this life that we want to do before we leave. Pursuit of dreams, careers, traveling, all these different things. Experiencing amazing places, people, and things. But if I ask you this morning, are you ready to die and meet Jesus? What would your answer be? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Good, because we don't want to say it out loud, because a lot of us go, I know I should say yes, but that's not how I feel. I know that's one of those Jesus Bible God prayer answers, <laughs> where Jesus is always the answer, and I should say yes, but I don't feel that way. Well, let me tell you all something, either do I. I wish I had that perspective, but I still have a fear of death, even though I say I believe in Jesus and his resurrection, because I'm human. I know we think we should all, like I said, say, yes, we're ready. But thankfully, most of us would probably say it would be great to see Jesus, but there's still some things in this life that I want to do. Is it wrong to think that way? I don't think so. Can you help how you feel? Of course not. But is there a big picture perspective that we should have about death as Christians? Well, I think there is. And I think Paul this morning is going to help us with that when we look at this passage in this letter. And I want you to understand this letter, sometimes we look, and I even said it a minute ago, I slipped myself and go, the book of Philippians. We look at things as they're books. They were books that were written. No, they were letters that were written on a piece of papyrus. And it took them a long time to write it dipping in the ink and writing on a piece of, and then it was rolled up and sealed and it was given to somebody and they had to walk it or ride some kind of animal to some place to give it. And the people at Philippians knew Paul was in prison and they get this letter from him. And they go, let's see what he says. And they eagerly anticipate reading the letter and they read it in church. And they didn't have a building like this. They probably met in a home. He goes, what does Paul say? What does Paul say? And they get ready to read it, and he's talking about his perspective on death. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, Paul says, hey, I'm in prison. But the good news about that is, is that people here are hearing about Jesus. He has a big picture perspective about that. And then even last week, he says, hey, I know there's some preachers out there who know about me being in prison, and they're becoming the popular preachers of the time. And some of them are even saying some things about me or doing some things that maybe have some ulterior motives. But he goes, what does it matter? And people are going, what do you mean, what does it matter, Paul? It matters. He goes, no, what does it matter? If they're preaching truly Jesus Christ, that's what really matters. See, he's got this bigger picture perspective. He goes, hey, if the, the young guy, like I said last week, in skinny jeans and ripped jeans, and he's real popular at his church, so what if he's preaching Jesus? I don't care. That's the important thing. So now he's going from that perspective to what about death, though? Because he realizes, I'm on trial. I'm getting ready to go before the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, and he could either have me executed right after he hears what I have to say, or he could let me go. And 
I don't know what's going to happen yet. But that's when he gets into this perspective of death. So he says, basically, Paul says, I'm torn. We're going to read this in just a minute. But he says, I'm torn. I can depart, die, leave this earthly body, and be with Jesus. And Paul says, that by far is the greater thing. I want to be with Jesus. I've given my whole life to Jesus. And I'm so excited to see him face to face one day. But then Paul says, but I'm torn between that, dying and going to see Jesus, or to remain on earth in what he calls the body of Christ and continue to work for people's progress and joy as they grow in their faith in Jesus. You see what Paul's saying? The easy thing would be to die and go to heaven and it'll be great, eternity with God, with Jesus, my Savior. But I know there's people here that need to hear about Jesus. And I want to stay, and I want to be a part of their joy and their progress as they get to that point and have that perspective in their lives. So I don't want to leave yet. So let's listen to Paul as he continues to encourage his friends. He's telling them a lot about what he's doing, but now he's saying it matters what you do. Your perspective matters. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 30. Thank you all for having that up there for us. Listen to what Paul says. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So as you hear that letter, think about that being read from somebody that led you to Christ, and you're hearing about what he's saying, and he's giving you this challenge about perspective on life and death. What do you hear, Paul, in answering that question? What big picture perspective should I have on death, Paul? What did Paul say in that short ten verses? Well, Paul says... I don't know what the outcome of this situation is going to be. I could be executed or I could be let go. I don't know yet. But he says, thank you for your prayers. I know y'all are praying for me. I know that you love me and you're concerned about me. And I appreciate those prayers because y'all know there's a possibility of death. Those prayers mean a lot. They will be for my deliverance. I need your prayers to know that you're with me even though we can't physically be together. You know, as Courtney was talking about that, it's, it's hard when you can't be together. But there's ways... You know, we go online and we can, we can talk to people. Well, they didn't have that then, but Paul's writing letters and they're at least connecting through these letters. And Paul says, when I get my chance to share the gospel in front of Caesar, in front of these other Roman officials who were the world power at the time, I hope I'm not ashamed. I will not be ashamed of my presentation to exalt Christ, whether it means they execute me 
or they let me go. Because he's got to go before them and go, so you've been arrested because why? You were talking about a dead man coming back to life, and he transformed your life. And Paul goes, yes, that's what I tell everybody about. Paul can't forget about it. On the road to Damascus, if you read the book of Acts, he tells about his conversion experience. This light came into his eyes, and he heard Jesus himself say, Paul, Saul, Saul, at the time he changed the name from Saul to Paul. Why are you persecuting me? And it transformed his life. He couldn't forget that, so he told everybody about it. But Paul says this amazing statement. Maybe some of y'all have heard this before. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Maybe some of you at home are hearing it for the first time. I hope there's somebody out there that is hearing this for the first time. And I hope it makes you scratch your head and go, what? What does that even mean? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that even mean, Paul? What does that even mean? He's torn between two realities of the outcome of this trial, death and being with Jesus eternally, or life and continue with all of the body of Christ for their progress in the joy and faith in Christ. And he seems to believe he will continue in helping them progress in their faith because that's his mission and purpose in life. God, Jesus told him on the road to Damascus, you will go to the Gentiles. I am sending you. You will be my instrument, Paul, to let the world know. And this is exactly what's happening. And Paul has found his purpose. Before he had this transformation, um, conversion experience, Paul thought his, uh, thought his purpose in life was is to be the best rule follower he could be and to point out everybody else that couldn't follow the rules as good as he did, and they were, they were wrong. That's what he thought he was. He was a legalist. But when Jesus transformed, he goes, you're never going to be able to follow all the rules, Paul. You can fake a lot of people out, but you're going to be my instrument to take the good news of the gospel. And the gospel isn't about legalism. It's about relationship and grace. And that's what people really need to hear about God. So whatever happens, your character, Paul says, regardless of what happens to me, if I get executed or I get set free, he's saying to those group of people in Philippi, your character and behavior and all of life's ups and downs, it matters because people hear you're a follower of Jesus and they want to know what you think about life, what your perspective is on life and death and all the stuff in between. He says the world is looking at you and you have the opportunity to show them the power of the gospel by your reaction to life and your reaction to life's ups and downs, and they're looking at you and going, do I want to really be a Christian? 2020, how do we do with that? How did we show the world how as a Jesus follower, we follow Jesus in the midst of a pandemic? What did people see? Did they see hope? Or did they see fear and crazy stuff? Did they see how did we respond to all the political stuff that was out there last year. How did they see me and you react? What did they read in your Facebook post? What did they read on your text or Instagram or whatever you, you did? Did they say, man, that person has a different perspective? Or did they just go, what? I wonder sometimes, how do we? you you never been in a restaurant and you're figuring out life with a, with a friend or a group of friends and, and you get louder and louder? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah, well, you know, if I was president, I would do that. Did you hear about this? You know, if I was the Braves manager, I would, you know, all this kind of stuff. We're talking all loud, and then you kind of go, man. And you kind of notice there's people in the booth behind you, and you're kind of going, man, what? How am I presenting myself? What did I just say? Was that a little obnoxious? And a lot of times I find myself going, I don't know if that was 
promoting Jesus or promoting Craig's opinion really loud in the restaurant. But Paul encourages these people by reminding them, you're going to get opposition because you're a Christ follower. You're going to get opposition because you have a different perspective on life and especially on death. He is on trial because he's saying a man rose from the dead and you can have eternal life because of that. And it was causing a riot everywhere Paul went. You would think that's a message of hope and love and grace, but it made people angry. And guess what, y'all? In the 21st century, that same message makes some people angry because they think they can avoid death. But you can't. Guess what? One out of one of us die. Y'all got that? Everybody's going to die, and we need to have a perspective on death. And Paul encouraged them and says, there will be always those who are going to oppose the gospel message of the resurrection of Christ. And ultimately, you will be saved by God, but also, guess what? There's going to be a time for these people who ultimately oppose this, and they will be destroyed. Paul's not happy about this. He's just reminding them about this big-picture perspective. Some people are going to reject it. Some people rejected Christ. Some people rejected uh, Paul's message. They're going to reject your message and your life change. And I think Paul is referencing, actually, a psalm of David here. David, in the Old Testament, was this man who pursued God's heart in his life. And some people hated David because of that. And David wrote one time, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. David knew about that. And Paul, I think, is referring that don't remember it happened to David. It's happened to me. It happened to Jesus. People are going to reject the gospel. And then finally, Paul says this at the end of this, this, this text here. For it has been granted to you, listen to that, granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear it. So think about that. True belief in Jesus means that Jesus grants you the opportunity to suffer for Him. Oh, wait a minute. I like the Jesus thing and being saved and my life is happy and we listen to the Christian radio station and it's all cool. But suffering? I don't know about that. That's not what I signed up for as a Christian, but Paul's going to know that's part of it. Jesus grants you the opportunity to suffer for him. And if you say you're ready to meet Jesus right now, are you willing to stay a little longer in this life so that others can know Jesus? And if you're willing to want to stay, you go, yeah, I'm willing to stay because there's a lot of stuff I want to experience. But are you just wanting the opportunity to stay here on earth for selfish things and selfish pursuits? Or are you here because you really want to bring others to Christ? It's a hard question. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. But reading this letter and hearing what Paul says, his thoughts and passion for what God called him to do in his life, it makes me think about my perspective in life. And I wish I could say, and I'm embarrassed to admit this as your pastor, but I'm in, I, I can't say for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I wish I could say that and really mean it, but I'm not there yet, y'all. And I know some of you aren't either, but that's the goal, to be able to see for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Don't you want that? It's a process. But when we really surrender to God instead of the gods of our culture and the deceptions of Satan, we can begin to say and mean and truly understand that statement. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But I scratch my head and go, what do you mean, Paul? What do you really mean? Well, I want to close with a couple of illustrations. In 1967, a student named Libby and her boyfriend named Tom were at a Christian convention or conference of some kind. And during the final night, they were calling people to make a commitment to be missionaries or to give their life to Christ in Christian service. And both submitted their lives to the Lord. And for 30 years after this, they ended up getting married. And Tom and Libby Little served in Afghanistan. He was an ophthalmologist. And they provided vision care to people of Kabul. I'm probably saying that wrong, Kabul. Throughout seemingly, thank you, endless wars and conflicts. Y'all know they're always going on over there. But in August of 2010, shortly after conducting a two-week medical camp in a remote valley of northwestern Afghanistan, Tom and his entire medical team were ambushed and killed by Taliban. Later, he would receive from President Obama the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And Libby, who was still alive, said, Although Tom was killed in 2010, he had already surrendered his life to God's good purposes way back in 1967. For four decades, Tom had submitted himself to his divine master. So in one sense, Tom Little had already died in Christ prior to 1967. And he would always live through Christ, even though he was ambushed and killed in Afghanistan doing good things for people so that they could know Christ. That's somebody that understood to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He understood that. His wife understood that. Another illustration, author Randy Alcorn recalled a a two-month mission trip that he went on with him and his family to Egypt several years ago. And while they were in Egypt, Alcorn said that one of their hosts took him to visit this abandoned graveyard that was way off the beaten path. It was down this garbage-lined alley. It's like, what a weird place for a, uh, for a cemetery, a graveyard. But the host wanted him to see this one particular grave, and he pointed out one tombstone, tombstone in particular. And the man's name was William Borden, who was born in 1887 and died in 1913. You can do the math and know he was very young. But he was heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. Y'all probably drank some kind of Borden milk product in your lifetime, right? William was a millionaire by 21. But he renounced his fortune, giving nearly all of his wealth to missions. And his heart's desire was to take the gospel to Muslims in China. And on his way to China, William stopped in Egypt to study Arabic so he could communicate better with them. But four months later, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. So Alcorn, as he's figuring out who this guy is and knowing the story, he says, I went and I I wiped my hand off the inscription that was on his tombstone because it was kind of covered with some, you know, weathered. You couldn't really read it, so he, he rubbed it off. And he says, after describing his love for Christ and his commitment to his and his love for the Muslim people and his sacrifices for God's kingdom, the inscription ended with some words I wrote down on the spot and have never forgotten them. To this day, the inscription ended with, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from Christ, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And then Alcorn said, I thought, Lord, what's the explanation for my life? Today, do you know what the explanation of your life is? Do I know what the explanation of my life is? Y'all, I want to be able to say, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul had that big picture perspective. 
This Tom little guy had that big picture perspective. This boarding guy had that big picture perspective. I think about Courtney has that big picture perspective. You don't have to be a missionary. I think about the Powells. They have that big picture perspective. I think about other missionaries that we support. When I was in Guatemala, and, and, and I, you know, I, I, the things that I saw there, I, I realized God was giving me a, a bigger picture perspective. And I thought, just like Alcorn, I say, Lord, what's the explanation for my life? I want to be able to say that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And some of us are still going, what, what? what does that even mean? But Paul understood that. He's like, whether I'm living, I realize my life was given to me. The gifts and talents and things that are given to me or put in my path are for a reason. Not just for me to soak them all up and, and do it for me. But it's to share with others who Christ is and how he can transform our lives. And that's why he could say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Don't you want to be able to say that? It takes time. Paul didn't get there overnight, y'all. Because you know what he did before this? He was a legalist, like I said. He thought the way to God was to keep all the rules, even though he knew in his heart he couldn't keep all the rules. But he was better than everybody else. And God said, that's not it. You need a Savior, Paul. And Paul, when he recognized he needed a Savior and he felt that grace in his life, he was ready to tell that to everybody. And he did that. So this morning... We want to offer an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say, I don't understand to live as Christ, to die as gain, but I want to. I want to know this Jesus that transformed Paul's life, that transformed this Tom Little's life, that transformed missionaries' life. When they said they were only going to do two years and be done with it, and 14 years later they're still going, how can I pour into people's lives so that they will know Jesus? That's the Jesus that we need to know. So if there's somebody here today, we're going to offer that opportunity. Um, our our team is going to lead us in a song. And while we're preparing for communion, if you're here for the first time today, we take communion every Sunday Sunday, in worship. And we don't do that because we're better than other churches or anything like that. We just believe in the Bible. The early church did this. They came together and they remembered that Jesus died for them to give them a new life. And we want to aim our lives to getting to that point where we can say, to live as Christ to die is gain. And he said, never forget how much I love you. Never forget that I defeated death for you. You no longer have, it no longer has mastery over you. It no longer keeps you from God. You now have a way to God. Don't be afraid of death. And so he asked us to remember that in taking a little piece of bread that represents his body that was nailed to that cross for you and for me and a little cup of juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed to give us forgiveness and to defeat death forever. So we're going to ponder that this morning as, as our, our worship team leads us. And if you have a decision this morning, or if you just want to come up here and pray, I'm going to be on the steps, and I can pray with you. You can pray by yourself, or if you're ready to join the church, or accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and be baptized into Him, I'll walk you through that as well. But let's think about the love that Christ has for us today.